Yo, buddy. What's up? Not much, man. How you been? Did I tell you me and Morgan had a very lovely conversation about you and I? Like, the fact that we text every day? No, I did not. So we were talking, me and Morgan, she just, you know, she calls me. We talk for like three hours, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was like, she mentioned something about you, something going on in your life. Can't remember even exactly what. And she goes, oh, she didn't, he he didn't mention that to you? I was like, well, no, I didn't, no, I didn't ask. She goes... <laughs> So what do y'all talk about all day? I was like, mainly memes and like political theory, like that kind of that 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 basically boils it down. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, yeah, we don't really we don't really talk about shit. We just like text each other stupid shit all day. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. And then I don't. Uh, did we do the questionnaire last time I had you on? I think we did, didn't we? I don't remember. I, don't, were, I think that we. I think we probably ran out of time because we were just talking yeah, about yeah, Star yeah. Wars we, for like three hours. Yeah, we did a we did a May Fourth one, which was Star Wars. But did we do another one? I can't remember. I, I don't know. Uh, if we have to, if we're not running long, I'll give it a stab. Even though I didn't show you any of these questions, but they're fairly easy questions. Oh, well, but it'll be fun. yeah, we'll give it a shot. Okay. Okay. Let's give it. Let's let's ready to go. Hold on one one second. Ah, T Earl Grey, hot. Anyway, all right, let's do this. <clears throat> Hello, world. Welcome back to the Flores and Friends podcast. Uh, it's a lovely Thursday evening, Friday Eve to some people. Um, I am joined by my hetero life mate, my uh, my dear dear uh, Hebrew brother. Uh, Benjamin Alexander Casson, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing just fine. It was uh, it was the was it the High Holy Week that just passed? I, I always forget the Jewish holidays. It's so so we're 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 in between. We're in the week in between um, the the two uh, the two High Holidays. We've got we had Rosh Hashanah the other the other day. It was the New Year, and then uh, coming up next week uh, we have Yom Kippur. Yeah, yeah, I knew Yom Kippur's. Yeah, that's the big one, right? That's like the big, big holiday of the year, right? I mean, pretty much. I mean, like those two are the big ones, but I guess probably Yom Kippur is slightly more important than Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, was it a good Rosh Hashanah or what? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get to. You know, I, I only went to a little bit of, of temple, okay. which is weird. I usually try to make it to at least like one full service, but I just didn't have time. Hey, Amen. This year. You're a, you're a, you're a full time dad. You got a job. You got things going on. I think I think Yahweh will cut you some slack this year, man. Fingers crossed. I mean, he is the he, he is the Hebrew God. He's pretty vengeful. So you better watch your back, man. Is all yeah, I'm saying. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyone who follow, who follows the pod, thank you. First off. Uh, second off, last week I had uh, the last episode I had was with Stephen, and we we it was I literally named it Mixed Bag. Like we didn't have a topic. We literally was. I was like, "Hey, man, do you want to do an episode?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure. I don't mind. Let's. I got free time. Let's do it." I was like, "What do you want to talk about?" He's like, "I don't know. What do you want to talk about? It's your show." And I'm like, 
Uh, let me jot down a few ideas. Mind you, this was like an hour before the show started recording, so I was like, we're just going to wing this. But this episode, you and I uh, have a very specific topic, and I think we... I think this is one of these episodes I thought about doing even before I had a podcast because I was like, I'm fascinated uh, by film directors and their filmographies over the years, and I was like, you are probably the only person I think we could, I think intelligently uh, tackle this director with me. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about the filmography of one Quentin Tarantino. If you don't know who he is, I mean. That's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's like I I would understand if you didn't if you've never seen any of his movies, which we'll get into when we when we go down the list. But I find it very hard to believe because he's he's one of the brand names. Like, there's your, your there's your obviously there's your Spielberg, there's your Scorsese, there's the Kubrick's. I guess some people are familiar with the name, but not probably have never seen any of his movies. Uh, I I think Brian De Palma. You know, like. There are certain, yeah. yeah uh, the modern day ones are like Chris Nolan, Denis Villeneuve. I never know. How the hell do you say that dude's last name? The dude who directed Blade. Villeneuve. Sure, that one. Who else? Uh, there's. Uh, you got David Lynch. Oh, David Lynch. Uh, David Fincher. That's another big director. Uh-huh. These, uh-huh. and I think this is going to be like the first in a series like we might tackle these other directors later on like i'd love to do a spielberg episode with you man that would be great yeah that uh, would be good but just for the record like me and ben i did once i was like god it was like a couple years ago remember we did a march madness like bracket of like best living directors and stuff like that yeah and i think i think i know mine came down to like spielberg and tarantino and i picked <laughs> spielberg uh, yeah. But that was a couple of years ago. That bracket could easily change because I don't even think yeah. Mr. Villanueva don't know how to pronounce your last name was even on that list. And he gave us Sicario, Arrival, uh, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and those are all three really really good movies. Highly yeah. recommend everyone check those out. Okay, so we're gonna talk about uh, Mr. Tarantino's nine films. Was it? I think yeah. I'm sorry. He's made eight films, and he has a ninth currently in production which we'll talk about even though we really don't know anything about, but uh, I still want to talk about it. Uh, but we're going to talk about not only his films, but his style. We're going to uh, – and we're also going to talk about some of his criticism because, oh boy, this guy is not aging well. And we're not even going to touch his long-standing professional relationship with a certain Harvey Weinstein. Like well, that's, <laughs> that's not even going to happen and we're not going to – I guess we can try and talk about a little bit of the Uma Thurman Kill Bill situation, but I, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. But we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you if you have never seen a Tarantino film, we're gonna go through all of his films, and we're gonna and some that he wrote just wrote because he is a prolific screenwriter as well. Uh, we're gonna go through all the films, talk about them a little bit, and hopefully by the end of this, anyone listening who's never seen a Tarantino film will either be interested in watching all his films or be like nah no thanks that doesn't sound, really sound like my cup of tea <laughs> so you ready to go man i'm ready yeah let's do this right off the bat what is your when someone says tarantino what comes to your mind there's, there's a few things that come to mind first of all um so his movies are all generally speaking they're 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 really really violent um that's a so, that's a common theme yeah 
And so, uh, so the thing that always pops into my mind is like buckets of blood, hmm. because <laughs> that that pops into my mind. Um, the other things that are like quintessential Tarantino for me are so gratuitous violence, really extended dialogue scenes, yeah, and really, really, really harsh language. Yeah, I would, I would echo all three of. I'm not so. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about the violence later, but uh, I wouldn't say gratuitous, but I would say uh, prominent violence in each of his films. Like it's, uh, but also. Uh, along with the other two that you, that and the other two that you mentioned, I would also say uh, style is a big thing with him. He's very stylized, uh, yeah. almost surreal at certain <laughs> points. And the two other things I would say are killer soundtracks. Usually, all of his films have really good fucking soundtracks because he's like not only is he a huge film buff, he's also a huge music nerd as well. Mm-hmm. He 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 pulls out the deep cuts, man. Um, oh yeah. And the other thing and. You can honestly trace this back to even his first film that he, his first major film that he made that we're about to talk about, is homage. Like he pulls from a whole bunch of different movies he's seen, and either remixes them. Like if he was a rap artist or a producer, he would sample a lot of different songs. Yeah. So he yeah. he 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 pulls from a lot of different uh, other films or genres, genre tropes. And injects him in his film because it's kind of like this postmodern uh, filmmaking kind of kind of style. I just mentioned it. Let's get into it. Reservoir Dogs came out in 1992. I was two years old, and I guarantee you, I did. I did not see it for probably another 12 to 13 years <laughs> after yeah. it came out. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a long time before I saw that one too. I was yeah, I, I was I was a, a young person when that came out as it's, well. So. Yeah, it, it probably it was I would imagine it it wasn't for me, but I would imagine the same for you. It wasn't the first Tarantino film you saw at all, was it? I I don't I I'm almost positive that it was not. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Uh, it was his first major film. Uh, I'm not going to go into his backstory because that's that, that I don't want to add another 20 minutes to this podcast. But uh, what is your first thoughts? What, what, okay, we we decided the format we're going to talk about is what stuff that you like about it, like a couple of few things that you like about it, and what's some things you don't like about it. Please go first. So this is another thing that's quintessential Tarantino for me is nonlinear storytelling. Yeah. Oh, that's another yes. Um, and so, I mean, just starting with Reservoir Dogs, you get the taste of it because, so, I mean, so, so the movie's about, it's about a bank robbery that goes wrong. Yeah. Right. Um, but you don't see any of the robbery. Nope. Right. You, you see the beginning, you see before when they have the breakfast scene Yeah. and then you see afterwards after it all goes wrong. Yeah. And then all in between. You know, you're learning things about the characters. I like, I really like that you don't know anything about the characters from the get-go. Like, there's not, like, a backstory scene. Yeah, it's great. It's a great opportunity for character development. Mm -hmm. To show, instead of telling who our characters are, showing who these characters are. Yeah. So, uh, I like that. And then uh, another recurring trope in Tarantino is the Mexican standoff. Yes. Um, And it's cool to see it in its 
you know, first iteration here. And, uh, and of course, you can't talk about the movie without talking about uh, Mr. Blonde and the, and the ear scene. With, yes, uh, <laughs> Michael Madsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that's probably the most iconic scene, and this that's another great thing. Like that's another. Uh, we can talk about the violence of that scene, because you said gratuitous violence. They don't actually show it. Like you only hear it, and you hear the dude screaming, and then you hear you see Mister Blonde pull away, and you see him holding the ear. Like yeah. That's another thing about it. It's like I would argue, and I'm going to make this argument across this whole episode, that he's not as violent as people think he is until Kill Bill. That's when like he's like, "Fuck it, let's just throw blood everywhere." Because there's a lot of lot more. He's a lot. He's a little bit more restrained in his early years than than uh, people assume. But yeah, that's, that that is fair. Yeah, but but that's also so. What Kill Bill came out in. We'll, we'll get there, but... That 2003. Came out, what, 10, less than 10 years later? Uh, ten, 11 years later. Okay. And then we're 15 years after that movie came out, so more than half of his career was full of gratuitous violence. Well, his last film... Sure, let's go with that. But, okay. <laughs> uh, some things I love about that movie. Uh, I'm a sucker for the the naming scene, because all the characters... Yeah. So the, the one of the... Uh, Part, uh, one of the aspects of the movie is that to pull off the perfect heist, uh, the ringleader, Joe, says nobody can know who anyone is and, you know, uh, except for Joe and his son. Uh, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but it's uh, it's Chris it's Chris Penn, the late Chris Penn. And so everybody's given a name, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink, Mr. Uh, Blue, Mr. Orange and all that stuff, yada, yada, Mr. White. And – that's a great scene. That's just like a really cool scene. <laughs> I just think that that's yeah. like uh, apparently he cribbed that from somebody else. Like he cribbed that from another movie, but it doesn't matter because it's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> the jokes, like it probably, I don't, I don't have the data in front of me to prove this, but it probably gave a slight resurgence to like a virgin. Like people were like, oh yeah, that is a good, that that is a good song, and it's like it's classic Tarantino like bullshitting where he's like, like a virgin. Yeah, he just like he just like stopped the entire movie kind of to talk to go on this little rant about like a virgin and stuff like that uh it's just funny because he stops the entire movie at the beginning of the yeah movie. and it's his it's him it's he's the character he's the actor giving the speech it's like or the monologue or whatever the fuck it's called but it's like this dude uh, look i'm not saying quentin tarantino is in love with his own like ideas but I could understand why someone could get that impression. Anyway. I mean, I, I'll say that. I'll, <laughs> I will go on record saying He's that. kind of up his own ass. But uh, another thing I like, you know, I've always wondered about this. So Mr. White and Mr. Orange, Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth, who plays Mr. Orange, who is the undercover cop that's infiltrated the group. Jeez, uh, spoilers. So, oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll probably – tack that on in the description like spoiler alert uh but i mean the movie came out fucking 26 come on guys 26 years ago and you haven't seen it i'm sorry that's your own damn fault but we are working under the premise that someone's never seen this film so uh so i will add on that spoiler alert but i always wondered if mr white and mr orange were gay because like, like yeah like physically intimate two men is what i'm saying like with each other or just in general with each other because like well. Because here's where I'm coming from. 
you have to understand, spoiler alert again, Mr. White, who is loyal to Joe, the ringleader, uh, the leader of the group, and he kind of buddies, buddies up to Mr. Orange throughout the entire buildup and planning of this heist, and he kind of turns his back on, like, everybody else, everybody else that he for someone he doesn't really know mr orange and i always maybe i'm reading into it but i was like it always felt like it went beyond like a bromance like you and i it went it it kind of went into like a was he in love with mr orange like what's going on there like i was like i'm not complaining i'm just saying there's not there's anything wrong with that i'm just saying i was i was i was always that was always my reading into that i was like are they gay like is that is that what's going on I don't know. I I never made that 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 leap. But hey, man, we all. If any two guys know, you can be really close to another man without being physically or sexually attracted to that person. It's not us. It's not us. No. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, I really like that. Like it. It's a very good character movie. Like it. It. My own. Okay. Before I go, I, I I do have a complaint about it, but just great lines and great characters and great acting. Like right out the gate, this dude like came out with like a home run. Yeah. Yeah. So what's what's a couple of things or what's a few things that you don't like about it? That I don't like. About oh, spe- it. special shout out to Steve Buscemi, who's fucking amazing in Reservoir Dogs. For sure. Steals the movie, in my opinion. Um, things that I don't like about it. I have one. Um, I have one off the bat. If you want to, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So most of the characters are revealed in this nonlinear flashback. Like their backstories are revealed in you know nonlinear flashbacks. Mister Orange is. Every time I've watched Reservoir Dogs later on in life, like as an adult, I fast forward through Mister Orange's backstory. Like his whole backstory of him like being a cop and learning how to go undercover. It's really boring. Like I'm like, a lot of the backstories are boring, but they're they're pretty short. Like I think the film's only like an hour and a half, maybe in between hour and a half, two hours. But for whatever reason, it just feels like Mr. Orange's backstory drags. Like I'm like, God, come on, can we get going? Jesus. Anyway, what else? What's that's probably and my other thing. Like, and you, I'm sure you'll appreciate this as someone who's worked in the service industry. Mr. Pink's anti-tip stance. Okay, that's kind of a dick move. Like, it's I don't know if he was trying to be like, look at this dick, or hey, this dick actually makes great points. It's like, mm, yeah, uh. but I still, still, I love Steve Buscemi in this movie. He's fucking amazing. Yeah, he is amazing. Yeah. Anything? You, anything else comes to mind or not? Not really. I mean, but I also haven't. You know, I haven't I haven't watched the movie in a while, so uh, you know I'm, I'm remembering all the high points, and I'm not really remembering many of the low points. That one, that Mr. Orange backstory always sticks out for me because I remember like, it, like I probably like in the past, I think I saw it when I was like 14 or 15. So in the past 13 years or so, 13 14 years, I've maybe watched it like five times throughout, like <laughs> just throughout. And yeah. I definitely remember most of those times I've watched it, I've, like, skipped because I had the DVD. I've just skipped Mr. Orange's backstory because I'm like, something about it just drags for me, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, let you want are you ready to move on to the big, big, like, the big Tarantino film? Of course. I mean, one of the greatest 
arguably the greatest film of the 90s. Could be the, one of the greatest films of all time. That would be 1994's Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Fun fact, Miserloo, I hope I'm saying that right, um, the intro song that they play, like, uh, during the opening credits of Pulp Fiction. That is my ringtone for you. <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, this film doesn't it doesn't get more iconic. Like, we could do a whole episode just on Pulp Fiction. Like, uh-huh. you you have a revival of of Travolta's career. You have yep. like Uma Thurman's Uma Thurman's breakout role. Uh-huh. You have Quentin Tarantino wearing his first I think his first and only, maybe his second. I think he's won f- two. I think he's won one for Django. I can't remember if he won a screenplay for Django. But he wins his first Oscar for uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. Also, it, it is a, it is part of the trifecta that year as far as Oscars go. Because in that yeah. same year, you have Forrest Gump versus Shawshank Redemption versus Pulp Fiction. My <laughs> God, it doesn't get much harder than that. Yeah. Um. You could talk about the soundtrack. You could talk about every aspect of that movie. The Christopher Walken scene. The <laughs> the Bruce Willis scene. Like, who he's just like... I mean, he's not like... He's like... He's Bruce... 90s Bruce Willis. And he's like... It's it's just got so many layers to it. What are... What's... Just if you can nail it down. Like, the Ezekiel 2517. Like, the Royale with cheese. What are some things that you like? Oh, man. There's I mean, so many to pick from. There are so many to pick from. So, like, so Pulp Fiction takes everything that was nonlinear in the storytelling with yeah. uh, Reservoir Dogs and then, like, perfects it. Yeah. Because you have these three kind of interweaving storylines, and they all work together to make this one, I, I, I don't know what you call it, uh, there's some fucking film work for it. Yeah, hold on. Whatever it is, so they all kind of weave together to make this portrait of I don't know what, like two days yeah. of action, um, and they're all presented out of order. But the fact that they're out of order doesn't really matter. Yeah. So I mean, and and it's just like you know Samuel L is in endlessly quotable in that movie. You know, like everything he says, you can just. Just every line is just perfect from him, and yeah. then you, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it. Uh, he, I think he got his first. Let's see. Let's just list the. It got nominated for best actor, best picture, best director, best film editing, best supporting actor, best supporting actress, and best original screenplay. It it got all four of the biggies. Like it could have swept if not competing against Shawshank Redemption and Forrest Gump. Like I said, right. Uh, I mean, it's just so iconic. Like, the amount of, the number of people our age and the generation before us, Gen X, it is a great Gen X movie. Like, it, yeah. A lot of people in those that are around our age and older would probably list this as their favorite film, like, of all time. Like, it's endlessly rewatchable. Um, I gotta say, like, I 
it's hard for me to pick certain things too. I think Ezekiel twenty five seventeen is the most iconic thing about yeah. it. Like I think the ending. Yeah, I would say okay. I would say my favorite scene is the ending because spoiler alert again uh, for a twenty four year old film. Uh, the beginning of the movie, it's like Ben said, it's, the whole film set up nonlinear. The beginning of the film ties into the end of the film with uh, Tim Roth and uh, Amanda Palmer's character. Uh, uh, robbing the diner that Jules and Vincent are yes. at. Yeah. I really think Samuel, L's, Samuel L. Jackson's line at the end, his speech at the end, where he's like, you're the weak and I'm the tyranny of evil men, but I'm trying, I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Yeah. I think that's my favorite part of it. Like, there's so many things to pick from from this movie. Uh-huh. I think that, I think... And a special shout out to Harvey Keitel because I think his like one scene, his like brief, maybe five minute long performance in this film is Mr. Wolf. Great fucking quality minutes, man. Quality minutes. So, yeah, I think that's ending the culmination. It is a culmination. It's a great ending is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I I, I don't know what my favorite part is. I, I, w- definitely one of my favorite parts is is Christopher Walken's scene because it's so absurd. Oh, yeah. oh we forgot to do uh, for Reservoir Dogs. I'm already fucking up the format. Would you recommend that to a, a casual fan who's never watched a Tarantino fan film? Oh, uh, yeah, I would. I think it's a great uh, appetizer. Like, I think... Yeah. Yeah. These first two are, are are very easy. Like these are like really two good like freshman and sophomore attempts. The later Definitely. towards the end is where you're like, okay, mm, we'll see. Uh, okay, so what's some things you don't? If you have anything, I have one thing, and it's not even really a problem with the film. It's just I don't like it. I don't like seeing it. What is yeah. there anything you don't <laughs> like about the film? Well, I already know what you're gonna say. I, and I'm gonna feel I, you I, on I it. I skip like, it. It, it, I, feels, oh. it feels unnecessary. It, so it's so what we're that is gratuitous. So what we're referencing is Marcellus Wallace, Ving Rhames' character in the movie, and Bruce Willis get kidnapped by like a pawn shop owner. They're like neo-Nazi white supremacists on the secret down low or some shit like that. And there's a and there's a gimp oh, God. and. And they get, it's apparently some fucked up homage to Deliverance. Um, Another film I've never seen because of what we're about to talk about. And so, uh, and so long story short, uh, Ving Rhames gets raped. Sodomized, yeah. And then, uh, and then somehow um, Bruce Willis it breaks free of his captors and murders the shit out of the people that were doing the raping. Yeah. And then, uh, and then rides off into the sunset because Tarantino loves the fucking cliche. He is a big fan of Westerns, but look, the, this, I don't have a problem with it. Cause it's actually brilliant because like, it's so tense. Like it is such a tense, like you don't like, you don't, they don't, he doesn't show, first of all, he doesn't really show much. You basically, I'm sorry for any children listening who shouldn't be listening, but like you just see old boy Zed like kind of bumping up against like Bing Rames' naked bottom. 
Like, you don't see, like, penetration. You don't see anything like that. And you hear it. Like, oh, God. Like, when he brings him into the room and Ving Rhames, like, screaming. And you start hearing it. Oh, it's just... I can't... I, I hate that scene so much. I love it. Like, usually what I do is I skip it until he he cuts up his friend. Because he's there's two guys. He stabs old boy who actually owns the pawn shop. And then he kind of holds the katana up to Zed's throat. And he's like, go for the gun, Zed. Go for the gun. And then Marcellus Wiley shoots Zed with a shotgun. And he's like, I'm about to go medieval on your ass. That kind of shit. <laughs> That's my Bing Rames impersonation, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, dude. Like, I just I can't. It's like right when he kills the gimp and then makes it up to the store and decides to go back from Marcellus Wallace and he grabs the katana. I usually skip to where he's holding like Zed at like sword point. Like I can't. Yeah. Oh, it's so. Oh, oh, it's so rough. I hate, fucking hate that scene. Like I'm like, oh, I can't. I can't deal with this. It's very effective. It's very tense. It is. Do you have any other complaints? Like I don't think. Yeah, dude, that's my only like. I know we got to give a special shout out to your lovely, lovely. Uh, uh, let's call her your girlfriend. I don't know what you guys call each other, but anyway, Morgan. Morgan has a big gripe with this movie. I know for sure. And if she's listening, I, I know she's screaming it right now. She hates Bruce Willis's French girlfriend, who's like blueberry pancakes. <laughs> Which I don't blame her because it's kind of annoying. But it's also like, why you? What, you're you're just nitpicking at this point, man. Come on. Yeah. That film is quality from start to finish. It is. It is real good. Um. What would? Okay, let's answer the question. Would you recommend this to a non, a non, the uninitiated? Let's call them the uninitiated. Of course, like this is the initiation movie. Yeah, this was the first one I saw, and then I, I think I saw Kill Bill after this. But yeah, Pulp Fiction was the first one I saw. Great film, great cast, great direction, great soundtrack. Everything about Tarantino that is great is in this film. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to his next film. Uh, one of the few films he didn't actually write. I think he he adapted yeah, the, it. He yeah, adapted this was the it. The only one that he adapted. Yeah, I think most of the other ones are. Well, I mean, Django is kind of based on a pre-existing character, but it's just like kind of a remake. But we'll get into that. Um, yeah. And Inglorious Bastards is is it's sort it's of. sort of, but this is a direct adaptation of yeah. Jackie Brown. Now, just up top, I remember I can't remember who, what publication did it, what website, but like one, I think I said I think I said this to you, like one article, like there was an article that like Jackie Brown is Tarantino's best film, and here's why, and I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I actually rewatched this recently because it's on, it was on HBO or it is on HBO. Uh, holds up, holds up. It was only the second time I ever saw it. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember why I like this movie. Uh-huh. Pretty good, dig it. I love me some, man. If I could have my guy moment, Pam Greer, my goodness, she doesn't age. She is she is so lovely in this film. I mean, she's always been lovely, but good film. Kind of, it's it's it. I will say it's underappreciated. Like it's like people don't talk about it enough. But I guess when you have like Pulp Fiction, Django, and Glorious Bastards, this one is kind of an odd odd man out. Like it's it's very straightforward and very like. 
it's got Tarantino-isms, but it doesn't, it's not like, I mean, this was coming right after Pulp Fiction, dude. Yeah, and it shows that it's not his or like it's his adaptation. Yeah, but it's not his original idea, and you can you can you can tell. Yeah, uh, it's. I like it. Uh, I don't think we'll have a lot to talk about. I know you haven't seen it in a while. Uh, I'll just say that I do like it because I love Pam Greer and I love uh, old uh, Robert Foster, who's in this, who plays her like boyfriend. I think it has a great ending. Um. <laughs> I will say that things I didn't like about it, it's like, mm, I didn't really like De Niro in it. Uh, mm, It's not my favorite Samuel L. Jackson role, but those are just tiny little, I'm not, I like this film. There's nothing really wrong with it. It just is, it's very un-Tarantino and it's an, it's an, it's, it's underappreciated. Maybe it'll grow on me more. Like I swear the second time I saw it recently, I was like, oh, yeah, it's actually a really good movie. Um, oh, Bridget Fonda's character is annoying in it. I remember that. I'm like, oh, God. Uh, okay. Would you recommend this to the uninitiated? I, I, I'm i kind of on the fence with this one because it is an obscenely long movie. Also. Oh, yeah. How long is, oh, yeah, it's like... It's, it's two like hours. It's three and, hours. No, it's, uh, it's 154. So it's like... You know, two and a half. Basically, two and a half. It's a long movie. It is a long movie. It's not bad. It's just, I see. I would be like, yeah, if you want to watch it, yeah, watch it. But it is long, and it's not very Tarantino. So if you're trying to get like pure Tarantino, uh, I don't really know if this is your film. But if you just want to watch yeah. like a good, I guess, character crime movie. Sure, yeah, go like for a, it. Like a, a '90s homage to black exploitation. Pretty go much, yeah. It. Directed and adapted by you know a white man from California, but sure, let's go ahead. <laughs> uh, let's take a minute to talk about uh, some of the movies he wrote, and we don't have to go into deep about these, but I did want to talk about them. Mm-hmm. There's a few in the '90s. He wrote a few standout movies, in my opinion, or either co-wrote or did uncredited work. There's True Romance, which just celebrated its like 25th anniversary. Did you ever see True, True Romance? No, you know, I was looking over the list of stuff that he'd written, and I've only seen a couple of them. True Romance is really good. Uh, very Tarantino. A great Tony Scott, the late Tony Scott, uh, brother of Ridley Scott. Uh, he's deceased now, unfortunately. One of my favorite directors. Um, oh, that's another director we could do. Ridley Scott? Oh, my God. That would be such a great... Whoo, buddy. But... Um, <laughs> A good Tony Scott film stars uh, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. Um, it's very Tarantino, very Tarantino. Uh-huh. Uh, but as I'll mention another film later, Tony Scott seems to do really well with Tarantino material. Um, yeah, I, I recommend it. But again, not directed by Tarantino, so we're not going to dwell on it too long. But I really like it. It's got a great. Brad Pitt performance, got a great Gary Oldman performance, it's got a great shootout at the end, a standoff, it's another theme of a lot of Tarantino films is a standoff uh, at the end, he uh, it's oh, it's a great Los Angeles fan, uh, film, if you like like to see films about Los Angeles, this is a great film for that uh, okay. next up, Natural Born Killers another one, did you, you never saw it? nope 
Okay, I'm not going to dwell on this one either. I tr- Dude, I tried to watch this film. And it's directed by Oliver Stone, and I'm not the biggest Oliver Stone fan. Dude, I, I really tried to watch this. I bought it at like Best Buy like when I was in high school for like five bucks. I was like, uh-huh. I'll give it a stab because I heard it was pretty controversial. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. I couldn't even finish it. It is so gonzo and so bizarre and so borderline nonsensical that I'm just like, I can't. I, I'm And I've never tried to give it – I've never given it a second chance. Maybe I will years later. But Natural Born Killers, it was too inaccessible for me. Like I'm like, what the fuck is even going on in this movie? Like it's – I was expecting a Bonnie and Clyde kind of 90s Tarantino thing. Dude, it it is so – like if you ever get the chance and go for it and if you are successful, please fill me in because I've never finished it. And I'm like – this movie's so fucking weird, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another one I want to talk about is from *Dust Till Dawn*. Okay, now I have seen this one. Yes. Are you? You're a fan. Yes. I, I mean, would say I'm a fan. I mean, it's got a pretty great Salma Hayek scene in it, so you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Him and uh, he directed uh, *From Dust Till Dawn*. And Tarantino wrote it, and I think they've were they've been friends for like a while now because they're both really big indie directors and filmmakers. And of course, Tarantino did a cameo in Desperado, which is a fucking great film. It is. It is a great film. So, what do you think about From Dust Till Dawn? It's kind of a weird kind of B movie. It is. It is. And and honestly, so I know that that Tarantino has the writing credit on it, but it feels so much more like a Rodriguez movie than a Tarantino movie. I would agree. You know. So, especially that, yeah, yeah. Not that that's a bad thing, right? Oh yeah, definitely just, not. It's just not. It doesn't feel like Tarantino. It's like, and they kind of uh, lampshade this in the movie because uh, the character of Scott's wearing a T-shirt with this film's title on it. It's like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez were like, "Let's take Assault on Precinct 13, a John Carpenter film." And let's throw in some vampires and let's set it in Mexico and we'll put it in a strip club. It's like, sure, man, let's go for it. But I will say that it's probably on the short list of my favorite George Clooney roles. Like he plays Seth Gecko in that and he's actually pretty good in it. I really dig him in that role. And it's got another great Harvey Ka- – well, great. It's got another Harvey Cartel performance that I really like. Um, yeah, it's really good. I like it. And uh, – very, very like, you got you got to be in for a penny. You got to be in for a pound. Like you can't just be like, and then vampires showed up and what the fuck happened? You kind of just got to roll with it, man. All right, yeah. uh, the last two I wanted to talk about are two '90s films that he did uncredited work on. Uh, we have The Rock with uh, Sir Sean Connery and. Nicolas Cage and Ed Harris, uh, the movie obviously about um, people, terrorists taking hostages on uh, uh, fucking Alcatraz. And, you know, Sean Connery plays not James Bond, but kind of James Bond. Um, you, you've seen this, right? I've, I've at least seen bits and pieces of it and I'm familiar enough with the cultural references that I can, you know, bullshit my way through it. Yes. Uh, I will just say one of the few Michael Bay films I actually like. It's like this and Bad Boys are the two Michael Bay films that I actually like. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's before he was like, oh, wait a minute, I can pay millions of dollars to visual effects studios to do all of the work for me. Oh, well, I say that, but I also have a saw. I, like, I think Bad Boys and The Rock are two legitimately good films. That said, I also love Armageddon, but I acknowledge that is a dumb fucking movie. Like, that's <laughs> fucking stupid-ass movie. But I watched it when I was a kid, and I love the shit out of it. Um, yeah, don't shit on Aerosmith. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't want to close our eyes... And we wouldn't want to miss a thing, Benjamin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of Tarantino in this, but there are, there are, there are. You could tell he wrote some of the dialogue. There's a lot of Nick Cage dialogue that has some Tarantino in it. But the big one I want to talk about was Crimson Tide. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you've ever seen this. One of the great Denzel performances of the '90s, and my Denzel yeah. lovers out there will totally back me up on this. He's fucking awesome in this. And there's definitely some Tarantino in this. Uh, you can tell from the pop culture references. Oh, that's another big thing that is a trademark of his. Really big into pop culture references. Um, yeah, you did you ever see this one? I did not. Oh, dude. Dude. Let me tell you. Fucking Denzel. Young. Um, arguably in his prime Denzel. Going against like older seasoned Gene Hackman on a submarine. And it's got fucking, like, post-communist Russian dictators and shit like that. Like, nukes and shit. And people are like, Uh it's got submarine warfare, dude. It is fucking awesome. It's a great fucking film. And more people should see it. Uh, But yeah, there's there's definitely some hints of Tarantino in that. And it's also directed by Tony Scott, who I mentioned earlier, who did True Romance. So I really think Tony Scott, you know... Quentin Tarantino had a thing going on in the 90s where they were like, yeah, yeah we work, we mesh, we work. Uh, but let's get back to his films. After Jackie Brown, I mean, Jackie Brown came out in 97. His next films, or film, however you want to look at it, we're looking at it as mm-hmm. one film, didn't come out for another like six years. Yeah. And we're talking about Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2. I consider them one film. I'm still waiting to get my one film version, like, instead of, like, two yeah, separate I know, films. right? He promised that he would come out with that one day. Maybe I don't understand the, why he didn't, because that was the, like, the original, like, he, he made it, and then he was like, oh, fuck, this is four and a half hours long. Well. I split it up. Well, he didn't. A certain uh, Brothers Weinstein made that decision, and the Weinstein <sighs> company were like, yo, we need to split this up. And guess what? We'll uh, charge... Two 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 tickets for admission for each one. Like classic Weinstein sticking yeah. their dicks in where they don't belong. Woo, <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> <laughs> buddy! I'd say too soon, but you know, um, fuck those guys. Anyway, <laughs> Kill Bill. What oh, comes? What what would you say? What are some things you love about it? And this is another so, one. This is another one that's really hard to pin down. Considering both volumes as one film, what's your favorite things about it? So, first things first, I have to share an anecdote about this movie. Go for it. And 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 it's uh, there was one time it was I was I was uh, flipping through the channels. Yeah. And I saw that it was on, um, it was on air on TV, and I was like, oh cool, Kill Bill, and it was on like I don't know TNT, AMC, one of those fucking sure. channels. 
and so so I turned it on, and uh, and it's and it's the scene where uh, where the bride is in uh, the hospital. Um, yeah, and she's being assault. She's being assaulted by uh, Buck, Buck, the and, orderly, and he likes to fuck. Yes. Uh, now, <laughs> the, <laughs> the the funny part of this story is that. <laughs> It's on network television. Oh God! So oh, obviously, no. obviously, Buck can't like to fuck. <laughs> oh God! Uh, did so, you know? so what Buck says is, "My name's Buck, <laughs> and I like to party." I think I remember hearing this story, and it's really awkward. And then, and then, and then his, <laughs> and then his truck. Uh, it's, it's this it's this magnificent airbrush truck, right? And in the in the regular movie, it's it's airbrushed and it says "pussy wagon" on it. Yeah. Um, but oh yes. This is network TV, <laughs> so it was the party wagon, <laughs> and it was it was just it was just the funniest thing to see. And I mean, it was like obviously you can't put that on TV. But just like I don't know, I guess I was expecting them to just like blur it out or something. Yeah. But there was like a there was like a fucking Adobe video magic yeah version where they just put party instead of pussy. It was so good. Can I tell a can I tell a completely <laughs> tangential story that's similar to that? Of course. So half baked used to come on. Uh, Comedy Central all the time, right? And Half Bake is, you know, it's a stoner film. It's got some pretty risque material in it and stuff like that. Stuff you can't show on fucking Comedy Central, right? So Dave Chappelle's character goes to rehab for weed, right? And he's got a scene. He's like, I'm, I can't remember his name in this character, but he's like, I'm Dave and I'm here. I'm an addict. They're like, Hi, Dave. And he's like, I'm addicted to marijuana. And they all get mad at him. And he's like, Marijuana. And then Bob Saget makes a cameo, right? He's like, <laughs> Marijuana is not a <laughs> marijuana is not an addictive drug, and they're all mad at him. And he's like, "You think you think you're addicted to you think you're an addict?" I okay. And then on the television broadcast of Half Baked, he goes, "I used to suck, <laughs> I used to suck feet for coke." So for like, I thought that was such a great line because who the fuck sucks feet for like? That's just so bizarre. I thought that was hilarious. And so I was hanging out with my cousin once, with my cousin Seth, and we were talking about Half-Baked. And we, we the, that line came up, and I was like, I told him, I was like, one of my favorite lines in that movie is when Bob Sag gets up, and he's like, I used to suck feet for coke. And he goes, dude, that's not what he says. I'm like, yeah, it is. I saw it on TV. He goes, no, that's the edited line. I'm like, oh, what does he say? He goes, he used to suck dick for coke. I'm like, oh. I love that. I want the feet line in there. Like, that's a funnier line to me because that's so bizarre. Like, that is so random. I think that's hilarious. But it actually is the line is, I used to suck dick for coke. And it's like, yeah, that's a pretty funny line. But just something about that feet line just gets, just made me, I remember being like, God, that movie came out, I think that movie came out late 90s, early 2000s. So I was like, I was a teenager when I saw that on Comedy Central. And I just... I died laughing because that's such a, a fucking bizarre line. Anyway, back to the Tarantino. But I just – that's a line where I'm like TV edits of movies. I just always make me think of Half-Baked. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, so Kill Bill, let's, let me ask you this. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, 2. Do you have a preference? Which one? 
It's tough. It is tough because there's stuff that I like because I personally, I love kung fu movies. Yeah. I, I fucking love kung fu movies. Like, and the more ridiculous that they are, the better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the fucking one-armed swordsman is a great movie. It's completely ridiculous, but it's a great movie. You know? So, like, give me that random shit. Like, Jackie Chan's first movie, like, the original Drunken Master from the 70s. Yeah. That movie is fucking A1. Yeah. Um, so, you get you get a lot of great kung fu in at the end of volume one. Oh, when, Crazy 88? Yeah, with the Crazy 88. But you also get that fantastic training with fucking Pai Mei and that ridiculous Fu Manchu that he's got. <laughs> and, the, and he does the little swoop of it? Ah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> but you have to wait until volume two to get that. Yeah. Oh, man. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I can pick. I think I lean towards... Volume one is more action-packed. And that's obviously more like, yeah, this is more rewatchable. Like that's that when she fights the crazy eighty-eight, that's probably one of the greatest action scenes in the history of film. Oh yeah, and then we can't. We also can't count out um, that that animated break. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Renishi's backstory. Yeah, man, and oh, and, the, and of course the when she fights Oren and the, the <laughs> great uh, "Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood" by uh, Santa Esmeralda plays. Great sound, great soundtrack in both uh, volumes. Oh man! Plus that set design in that scene with like the light sprinkling of snow the whole time. Yeah, and you have great characters, great concept. Like nothing is uh, okay. Nothing is more efficient than a revenge plot, like a revenge movie, where it's like yeah, and it's in the title. Like everything about this film is efficient. Like it's very very like i don't think there's a minute of wasted film in this movie like you you find out what happened you're with her the entire journey you know who she, you know her goals you know why she's doing everything she it's it's fucking brilliant dude and just some things i love about volume 1 you have oren ishii you have that fight uh you have uh uh the hotori hanzo scene Great, oh, fucking great, Sony, Sony Chiba. You have Vivica A. Fox, like she gets killed pretty early, but like she gets like that's a great fight. And then yeah, she kills Vivica A. Fox, and then the, her daughter, Vivica A. Fox's daughter, sees Uma Thurman, the bride, kill kill her, and she's like, "If you're ready, if you ever couldn't, you want revenge, come find me and stuff like that." And I, and I'm just fascinated by Bill. Like I think that Bill's honestly a very fascinating character because in volume two we have you know bud you have esteban vallejo and that little scene with beatrix in uh i think they're in brazil i can't remember where they're south south america or central america i can't remember but there's also the great superman monologue by bill and it's like we're kind of hopping all over the place i'm at least i am hopping all over the place there's so much but like and the one inch punch where she escapes from being buried alive it's like I don't want to tip my hand a little early, but like, God, this is what I, as far as like a buffet of just like, here's every, anything and everything you want in a movie is boom right here. Like, it's just, it's funny. It's action packed. It's got stylistic choices. It's just fucking great. Like it's just greatness in four hours, but you know, 
That's that. I mean, I could I could have sat there all four hours, man. I totally right. know about that life. Um, is there anything else? Any other positives you want to go, or you want to go to the negatives? Um, I love the five point palm exploding. Oh, great ending! Great ending. And uh, that's that's such a fine. That's such a fantastic dynamic, like Bill and Beatrix. Like it's like when he's like. I think about that line where he's like, I overreacted. And he's like, I didn't say I would give an excuse. I can't remember he would say, I I didn't say I'd give an excuse. I just said I'd give an explanation or he said something like that. And he's just like, and he's like, I'm a killer. And he's like, you broke the heart of a killer. How did you expect me to react? It's like, and she's like, did I think did I know you could do that? But did I think you could do it? Dude, oh, it's such a great and great soundtrack. Like we talked about, the Santa's Morelda. You had the To Battle Without Honor or Humanity, the big classic, uh, like the mainstay of that movie. You have a great ending song uh, done by actually Robert Rodriguez's band. Uh, fuck, what is it called? Malagueña Salarosa at the end where they play the. Uh, probably butchered that, but uh, it's played at the end of the credits of Volume 2. Fucking great. There's a couple things plus, I didn't want to there's a couple things I did want to talk about with this film though. Go right ahead though. Oh, I was just gonna say plus you have all of like the I don't I don't know if you want to call it an inside joke or just like the just like that 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 visual reference of just having David Carradine yeah. be Bill. Yeah. And unfortunately there's like gratuitous amounts of uh snakes in this film and that just i can't i don't like that like when bud gets dispatched with that uh the black mama mama. i i'm good and and okay let's talk about this okay because this is something that the gratuitous violence because there's a lot of especially in volume one there's a lot of gratuitous violence but i will say this this i totally agree that this this movie is excessive but I also think it's artistic and purposeful. Like, I don't think he was just like, fuck it, let's do it. I think he was trying to make a point. And, yeah. like, the violence and the gore of revenge. Like, and I get speaking that. Of, speaking of that, he does do his best to limit it. Yeah. Like, in like in that scene with the Crazy 88, they have that scene where the lights are off. Yeah. When, when she fights everybody. Yeah. And so, like, you see that she's killing the shit out of people. But you're all you're seeing it all in silhouette. Yeah, and her for I think the ferocity of that scene where she's like chopping off limbs and shit like that and <laughs> splitting people in half and like cutting people up, right? I think that it, the purpose of that, especially in that crazy eighty eight scene, is to reinforce her dedication. I guess her purpose, her motivation. Like she resolve. is, yeah, her resolve is a great, yeah, a great word. You know what's funny about this film, and I always I think about this a lot with Volume One, and it has to do with Passion of the Christ, right? So Passion of the Christ came out, I think after I think it came out after Volume One, right? And anyone who wasn't alive when Passion of the Christ came out, uh, you and I were in high school, right? Um, or yeah. elementary school, or something like that, somewhere around there. Uh, there was a big big controversy about how violent passion of the christ is like big like i remember going to see it and my brother had saw it already and he's like dude when he gets whipped oh my god and when he gets crucified you actually see the nails going in and stuff like so i was like prepared like i was like 
oh fuck, this is going to be intense. I need to like prepare myself. Bro, let me tell you, not nearly as bad as Volume One, Kill Bill Volume One. Like I was like, this it? That's it? Like that's it? That's not even that bad. Like, did you see Kill Bill Volume One? Like, Kill Bill Volume One is one of the bloodiest films I think I've ever seen. I was like, why were people not outraged about Kill Bill Volume One? And then that's when I realized, oh, when it comes to Jesus, there's a completely different set of rules. Like, you can't, no, you can't show Jesus having to do with violence or sex at all. Like, which is why Da Vinci Code was such a controversy. But I was just, I was just, I just think about that. I'm like, Passion of the Christ got so much shit for being so violent. I'm like. Yeah, but Kill Bill Volume One was like six months ago, and that wasn't even that was way worse. Like you, saw, I saw way worse in Kill Bill Volume One, and then in Kill Bill Volume Two, you see uh, Daryl Hannah's character get both separately, but both eyes gouged out. Like, yeah, <laughs> like what? Like it's just it just amazes me, like how people tripped about Passion of the Christ mm-hmm. when Volume One had just come out, like relatively speaking. You know, I still haven't seen Passion of the Christ, and I don't know if it's if it's like a, I'm Jewish, so that's like yeah. it's not like I'm forbidden from seeing it or anything. But it was just never like a thing where I was like, oh, I need to go see this movie. Well, there's a few things working against that film. Uh, one, Mel Gibson. Two, <laughs> he claims that they weren't like it, like the depictions of some of the Jews in that film. You know, I mean, Jesus was a Jew, and all his friends were Jews, but like. Everybody was Jew, but like, also like the bad Jews are really anti-Semitic looking. Like, dude, I'm not even gonna lie. Like, you would probably be like, whoa, whoa, this is not wait a cool. Minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me <laughs> that Mel Gibson is an anti-Semite? Hot take alert! <laughs> Breaking news: Somebody call CNN. Oh man, but it was. But I, I, I just, I, I, you don't need to see it. It, it's not that – I mean I I was aware of it because like there's the uh, Passion of the Christ is the uh, – around Easter and stuff like that, especially on Good Friday. There's the reenactments and stuff like that at churches. Like I used to – they used to do that at my church, so I was very familiar with the story. But obviously – fuck it. Don't worry about it. Like, it's not even that – it's not – it's like the avatar of its day. It's like what? that was such a big controversy and big like, like – uh, hubbub about it but like who the hell cares anymore fuck that movie uh, but anyway back to Kill Bill I think while Kill Bill Volume 1 is the more action packed film I think Volume 2 is the I think I like that one more because that has more character in it and it has more yeah. like resolution and culmination as far as yeah. like she got through a lot of the crazy shit in the first one but the second one is where she's like really fucking tested. Like she gets buried alive. She has to find Bill. She finds out her daughter is still alive. It's like, right. And she wins. It's a happy story. Great fucking movie. Uh, do you have anything bad or anything about it to say? It it is really unfortunate that there's not a. It, this isn't. I, I I don't know if I would call this bad or not, but it is unfortunate that there's not a cohesive. Yeah. Let's make a one movie cut of this. Yeah. You know, so that's unfortunate because yeah. it would be nice if it was told in one story, even if it, w- if it was long. Like, even if it's just we just took the credits out of fucking volume one. And you just could streamline it to like volume two. I think you could streamline that film to three and a half hours. I think so, possibly. Um, I will say also the unfortunate thing, like as we've recently found out, 
Like, Uma Thurman almost died in this movie, like, making this yeah. movie. Which is fucked up, because you have different accounts. Like, there's a scene where she's driving on a sand road in a car, and apparently lost control, and she, like, really fucked up her back and, like, her leg. And, like, apparently her and Quentin had a fallen out. Like, they were... He once referred to her as his muse. Like, that that's how close they were. They were, like... They created Beatrix Kiddo themselves, like, together. Yeah. She was heavily involved in the development of his character in this film. And, like, apparently he was so adamant that they got the shot that, like, she almost died. And... Apparently there was some Weinstein stuff going on in this film, like kind of like towards her and shit like that. It's yeah, it's unfortunate that such a great film kind of has a seedy underbelly and shit like that. It's like, ugh. Mm-hmm. but I mean, I guess that's the old Hollywood man. That's just that's how things were done back then, and hopefully yeah. things have changed. Back then, twenty years ago, back then, Four, Jesus, fifteen years ago. This was like fourteen, yeah. fifteen years ago. This wasn't even that long ago. Fucking. It, anyway, it's unfortunate. Uh, but I, it's I did want to address that violence thing that like this was like when because people were like Pulp Fiction's very violent and it's it's it can be it, it's not like not violent but I also didn't think it was that gratuitous as he's commonly commonly I mean, commonly I mean yeah but but just the scene well, well but what about the scene where where Jules and Vince are in the car yeah and okay Vince ac- accidentally explodes Marvin's head all over the back of their car <laughs> yes that is violent but you don't see his head explode in in volume one dude you see some shit in that movie like you see like she fucking I mean, like you, you literally see brains in that movie yeah and like in volume two she like steps on an eyeball which goes back to his foot fetish thing that we do yeah. you want to talk about that like he definitely he oh, definitely man. has a foot Speaking fetish of feet fetish fucking the, the 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 pussy wagon scene when she's like move wiggle your big toe yeah are you fucking kidding oh yeah yeah dude he definitely look not that look there's nothing as long as you're not hurting anyone there's nothing wrong with a fetish a foot fetish especially specifically as long as you're not hurting anyone Hey man, do your own thing. I'm not here to kink shame. Like, do do your thing, boo boo. Um, but it's kind of weird. Like he he goes out of his way to draw attention to it. Sometimes it's like, mm. yeah. There's a difference between having a fetish and then kind of fucking tra- advertising. Yeah, that you trying have to a convince fetish. people to have the share your fetish. Like it's like, mm, okay, all right, all right. Uh, great fucking movie. Great fucking movies. If you want to consider them separate, but. It uh, man, it doesn't get much better than Kill Bill. Like it's such a great, dare I say, perfect film, combined. Combined. Yeah. Uh, next one is a very small one he did with his buddy Robert Rodriguez. Uh, came out in two thousand seven. Uh, Grindhouse Death Proof. I know you've seen yeah. this. Yes. Yeah. Do you like it? Or okay, let's. Well, first off, would you recommend Kill Bill Volume One and Two? I would. I would recommend the shit out of those movies. But you have to give it like it's not for like it's it's for the the uninitiated can watch it, but as long as they're okay with the violence, right? Yeah. It 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 it, it is certainly not. It's not good for everybody. Yeah. If you don't like, my mother would never like. 
No. There's just some blood. Like, if you can't handle blood... Uh, if you can't handle blood, yes. But if you like kung fu movies... Yes. Yeah. You, like, you, you don't have to be a Tarantino fan to like this movie. No, not at all. Shout out to the RZA, too, for doing the soundtrack. Yeah. Anyway, uh, gr- uh, Death Proof. Did you see the double feature? Do you see? I heard they split them up in some theaters. Um, I've seen both movies, but I didn't see them both as a double feature. Oh, I saw I saw the double feature. I remember seeing the double feature. Honestly, uh, not to shit on this film we're about to talk about, but my, I thought the trailers were better than both movies. I agree. Yeah. And so I like the trailers better than both movies, and I also liked Planet Terror more than Death Proof. Yeah, if you watch Planet Terror, you can see the same guy who made Planet Terror made From Dust Till Dawn. I think I'd, I'm more inclined to believe with you. It's just that Death Proof's just so... It always just seemed me like it's so implausible. Like, it just was like... I, first off, I love Kurt Russell in it. That's probably my thing I love the most about it. Is like I, I actually yeah. like Kurt Russell, even though he turns out to be a gigantic uh, wuss at the end. But, I mean, <laughs> that, that kind of left me hanging. Like, I was like, hmm... He comes off as this badass throughout the entire film, and then when he gets his own, when he gets shot at and he gets wounded, he's like, "Oh my god, my arm!" I'm like, "Dude, you were badass before this. Now you're a little sissy. What the hell?" Uh, great cast, though. I, th- I think he's a vehicle for Tarantino. Yeah, probably. Uh, great cast, great Rosario Dawson in this. Oh yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and you could tell that this was his attempt to make, like, a real stunt movie. Like, you have yeah. Zoe Bell, like, literally hanging on the... Literally, st- a, and yeah. who is literally a stunt woman. Yeah, and she's literally, like, hanging on to, like, the car. Uh, shot in Austin, Texas, by the way. Planet Terror shout and... Uh, yeah, I know, right? Planet Terror and Death Proof shot in Austin, Texas. Uh, which is weird, because, like, if I bet I watch, if I watch that film now, I'd be like, hey, I know that place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, any good things? Any good things you want to add to this? Um, this one specifically, not Planet Terror. Honestly, it's probably his most straightforward movie. Yeah, it's not. There's no not. There's a little bit of non-linear, but not really. Yeah, it's all like I mean, like it's not. It's not as far as I remember. It's not non-linear in the form of like flashbacks or anything. No. It's just like like you find out about the character as the movie progresses, as opposed to finding out about the the character and then the movie progresses yeah yeah so that's the most non-linear that it gets yeah but i mean other than that it's, it is it's a, it's a straightforward movie yeah it's another thing like the the whole the whole like impetus behind the grindhouse is like they were both fans of b movies growing up so they were like let's make two b movies like really expensive b movies and stuff like that and this is a very very straightforward movie and like it's a chase movie although it's implausible because like basically Spoiler it again, like, the whole point of the movie is this dude is so, wants to kill people with his car that he, like, purposely rams his car into other people to kill them. And, like, he kills a bunch of people in the beginning of the movie, and it's like, what? And then it shifts to a whole bunch of new people that he tries to kill. Great chase scene, but also kind of like, what? What the fuck? Like, yeah. what? Because he's a stunt driver? I'm like, what? But I don't think the point is to overthink it. Like, you're not really supposed to dwell on this movie very long. Right. Yeah, man, it's fun. It just kind of is... It's whatever. I guess that's my biggest I, problem, that it's whatever. I, I will say... So just talking about Grindhouse in general, on the trailer specifically... Yeah. Um, I wish that they would make movies out of all of them. Yeah. Like, where 
so what are we? There's Hobo with a shotgun and machete, I think, were the only two. Yeah, those are the two. So we're two for five. Yeah. Uh, I would I would love to see werewolf women of the SS. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, Don't by Edgar Wright. Uh-huh. And, then and, and Thanksgiving by with, Eli Roth. Yeah. We're about to get on to Eli Roth. Uh, but yeah, it's all right. But yeah, the, I think those trailers were best. The trailers were the best part of that double feature. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, let's move but, on. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I have love for uh, for Planet Terror. It's it's um, something. At least it's fun. Like it's funny. It's a good. It's a yeah. fun movie. Yeah, like the gimmick is a good gimmick. Yeah. Although Tarantino, his cameo in Planet Terror is fucking creepy as shit. Do you remember that? Like he's about to rape. Um, he's like he's like a military. He's a soldier about to rape somebody, and like he starts breaking out. Like disease starts breaking out. And he's, I don't remember that, but that is some fucked up shit. And like, dude, for real, like, he literally, this is not, I'm not misquoting it, like, he's like mutating as he's trying to rape a girl, and his dick starts mutating, and he goes, well, I guess I'll have to make this fast, and he gets shot up, like, right after that, but I'm like, in hindsight, um, <laughs> um, okay? But anyway, let's let's move on. Let's move on to another great entry. Like, this came out a couple years later, and it's shit. This starts the Christoph Waltz era. Yes. <laughs> and of course, we're talking about Inglorious Bastards. I will say that, like, I watched this movie in the movie theater. Loved it. And then I watched it with my stepdad and my brother, like around the holidays on DVD. And I remember my little, this is my little anecdote about it. Like, neither one of it seen it. I was like, oh, it's a great movie. Y'all will love it. And they saw it and they were like, that movie was awful. It was too violent. What the fuck was going on in that movie? And my stepdad, who literally bought the DVD for himself, was like, you can have this. I'm never going to watch this again. I'm like, damn, I thought it was awesome, dude. So what's your what's your positive? There's a lot of positives in this film. First off, let's go um, right off the bat. Christoph Waltz is the fucking jam in this movie. He is. The, I mean, fucking Christoph Waltz is the fucking find of the century. Dog, he is so good in this. He he is like one of the greatest villains, like in recent history. Like you have like Javier Bardem in No Country. You have Christoph Waltz in this. I mean, I'm sure I could. Those are the two, like, in modern, like, in the past, like, two decades, like, great yeah. villains that I'm right. just, like, I'm actually terrified of. Like, every time they're on the screen, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. 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 So, so just as as an aside, after, after Death Proof, that's where I stopped taking notes because I was like, I don't need any notes about Inglorious Bastards. I can just riff on it. Yeah. And then everything else I've seen recently enough that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's, it's, I mean, like, I, I guess for me personally, it's like super revenge fantasy. Like it's, yeah. like it's, it's revenge fantasy specifically targeted at me. Yeah. How do you feel and, about that? As since Tarantino is not, he's not Jewish. How do you feel about a non-Jewish person making kind of a Jewish 
revenge fantasy movie. Um, I'm not gonna get mad about anybody that writes a revenge fantasy movie about killing Hitler. Yeah. Like, it's pretty hard to get mad at Whoa, that. Benjamin, the little controversial take there. <laughs> I'm sorry to all those tiki torch-wielding motherfuckers out there. Hey, Nazis are people too, all right? They're good people on both sides, all right? <laughs> We're not supposed to punch Nazis or scout them or blow them up in movie theaters. Nazis have families too, Benjamin. You're right, I know. They do have feelings. But anyway. So. <laughs> I think, I, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, man, I wish there were more bastard scenes. But also, the Melanie Laurent, the Shoshana, like, she's, they're, they're kind of given equal space. Like, the bastards with Brad Pitt and uh, everybody is also given equal weight to uh, Melanie, Laurent's, Mel, Melanie Laurent's character who owns the actual <laughs> movie theater and stuff like that. I wanted more bastards, but the older I get, I'm like, you know what? I think it's good the way it is. I think it's got a nice yeah. balance. Oh, speaking, sorry. So, Go ahead. speaking of other actors that were, at least in my opinion, kind of discovered in this movie. Oh, Daniel Brule? Are you about to talk about some Daniel Brule? No, I'm oh. not going to talk about Daniel Brule. I'm going to talk about Super Jew. Oh, yes. One of the, like, we talked about at the beginning, like, his trademarks are like long dialogue scenes. The the scene in the fucking basement. Yes. <laughs> dry glazer. Is it dry glazer? It's dry, dry yeah. glazer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great fuck. That is probably the most rewatchable scene for me. Either that or the opening. Yeah. Well, okay. First off, <laughs> for people not in the know, Super Jew is how we refer to Michael Fassbender because he played Magneto in X-Men movies. And we also call... We also refer to Sir Ian McKellen as Super Jew as well, because Magneto is Jewish. Uh, anyway, but yeah, like, kind of like, I think he did, he did like 300 before this, and then he did Inglorious Bastards. Like, oh, I forgot he was in 300. Yeah, and he's got long hair, it's so weird. Um, it is. But yeah, he's great in this, as Ar- uh, Archie Hickox. Uh-huh. And he's, I, I love that line, he's like... They say there's a certain place in hell for people who waste good scotch, seeing as yeah. I'll be rapping on the door momentarily. I must say, sir, damn good stuff. I know. And about this pickle. That scene, that scene is so good when he gets found out and he's like, if you don't mind, I'd like to go out speaking to kings. Yeah. Also a random Mike Myers cameo? As like. I know. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> okay, uh... We could we could slobber all over fucking Michael Fassbender like Jesus, but uh, <laughs> that scene is so good and it's it only gets more tense and then once the shootout happens and you know fucking Aldo Rain comes up yeah. and like with the uh, Wilhelm and it's like they have another Mexican standoff. Um, yeah, uh, it's. God, and there's also like, okay, so we have that. We have the opening scene with the milk farmer and his daughters hang, hiding. Uh, also, random shout out, uh, Leah Sado, who went on and played Spec and uh, was Inspector with uh, Christoph Waltz. She's also in that opening scene. She's one of the daughters. I was like, holy shit, that's her. You have that. You have introducing the bastards where Aldo Rand's like, each one of you owe me a hundred Nazi scalps. 
and I want my scalps. And it's like, just great characters. Like, just great, interesting characters in the entire movie. And then you have, like, the... the random the random narration breaks. Yeah, with, with Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Hugo Stiglitz. And, like... You have the bear Jew scene. Let's talk about the bear Jew. Because I, I think we've had this conversation in the past. I've always been morbidly curious. Because originally Tarantino wanted Adam Sandler as the bear Jew. Das bear Juden, right? I'm not saying it would have been good. I'm just saying I wish I could have seen that shit. You know what I'm saying? You know, I just want to. I just want to see a screen test of it because I'm sure the actual product, if they had actually gotten Adam Sandler for it, yeah. would have been terrible. Maybe if this movie was made in the '90s, mm. but in the late what the late aughts, oh uh, nine, call it oh nine, yeah. Uh, that's not like like Adam Sandler from fucking Funny People. That's not who I want to see in this movie. <laughs> Well, we're, in the next film, we're going to talk about a big casting what-ifs. But for that, I'm just morbidly curious. Like, I'm like... Because I've seen Adam Sandler not be Adam Sandler in a movie. Could, I'm just like, could he have done it? Like, I'm really wondering. Like, I'm like, that maybe could have been fucking incredible. Probably not. But maybe. I, I don't know. You've got more hope than I do. And it's... It's such a great movie. Like, I know we keep saying that, but, like... And you have... And I think Tarantino was aware of it. Because the last line of the movie... Because he's like... So, literally, they kill Hitler, which is not... It's How do you feel about that? Like, it being a derivation of history. Like, do you... Does that fucking bother you? Because I remember, like, my brother was like, wait a minute. That's not how it fucking happened. I'm like, y- yeah. So, so, this is something... I wanted to bring it up, but I wasn't sure when to bring it up. Okay. The idea of all of Tarantino's movies being a self-contained universe. Yeah, 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 that theory, yeah. So, you know, suspension of disbelief with that, I'm okay with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. I I mean, it could work. I've seen, like, I think we've read the same stuff. Like, it could work, but I don't think he meant it. Like, he's just, he was like, fuck it. I don't care. Fuck Hitler. I wanted to shoot him up, so I shot him the fuck up. And that's a very violent scene. Because you have Eli Roth, like, unloading a submachine gun into, like, Hitler's head. Yeah. Uh, Plus suicide bombing everybody in the theater. Suicide bombing everybody. And apparently that theater, like, those people almost died, like, in that movie theater. Like, Eli Roth and the other dude almost died in that movie. Like, it's like, oh, boy. He doesn't really, he really just wants to go for it sometimes. He's like, ah, the actors might die. Who the fuck cares, right? Uh, (laughs) But, but at the end of the movie... You kind of get the impression that Tarantino's like winking at the camera, because like after random BJ Novak role, because like he's like, oh Ryan from the Office is in this, cool. Because uh, after he kills, after they kill Hitler and Hans Landa makes a deal to you know switch sides, betrays the Third Reich. Aldo Rain cuts a swastika in his head, and like at the literally the last line of the movie is, you know what? I think this might just be my masterpiece. And I'm like, I see you, Tarantino. I see you. Yeah. No, 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 no. And then beyond seeing him in that living vicariously through it, he literally wanted to be Aldo Rain. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Great Brad Pitt. Love Brad Brad Pitt Pitt. in that movie. Great Brad Pitt. And he really commits to it, man. 
Like, everybody oh. is in it. Like, everybody, there's not a weak link in this movie. Yeah. And and so speaking of Tarantino living vicariously through oh, his Oh, God, characters, here we go. Can we talk, can we talk about the scene when uh, Hans Landa kills I knew you Diane Kruger's character? I knew we were going to go here. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just fuck. that's just why. Like, why? Like, she, he, yeah. she literally passed out, right? She, she literally almost, he literally almost choked her to death. And it's kind of like, in hindsight, kind of forming like a pattern of behavior here. Like, it's like, look, I don't know if Tarantino's an evil dude. I don't really, I think he's crazy. I'm pretty sure he's crazy. Yeah. Something's off on that dude, but like. It seems like he is incredibly negligent at times just for the sake of his own art and maybe by extension his own ego. I'm not a I'm not a psychologist. I just play one on television. <laughs> but you're kind of like I could hear that argument. I could hear that argument. Yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot of convincing. And again, goes back to like the reason she's caught is because her slipper or her 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 shoe, and obviously more foot fetish porn, basically. Yeah, right. Uh, it's it's very weird. It's very it's a very weird aspect of that film, but also Gorlami. See, <laughs> <laughs> uh, si. correcto. And he's like Margarete. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, the, the I think the I think we've covered what we don't like and what we do like about that film in a very not random order. But like, it's a great film. I highly recommend it. Uh, it is, yeah. I, you don't have to be a Tarantino fan to like this movie. So you would recommend it to the uninitiated? Definitely. Yeah, I would too. Uh, again, but this is also one of those films. It's like violence might be a little too much, but you know, it's, it's not like it's violent all the way through. Okay, let me ask you this. How bad did you want an apple strudel after this film? I always want an apple strudel. This is true. So that's a loaded question. I can't even eat that cream. No homo. But, like, I would tear that <laughs> fucking apple strudel with cream up, dude. Like, that looks fucking amazing. Like, it's like... <sighs> and Melanie Laurent. Shout out to Melanie Laurent. And Daniel Brühl. Because, like, really... Like, they're, they're both foreign actors. And I think this is kind of their opening into coming into more mainstream American films. Like, you don't see them a lot, but you do see them. Like, it, they have been in American films. Yeah. Yeah, like, we wouldn't have them as probably Baron Zemo in Captain America Civil War, if not for Inglorious Bastards. Right. Oh, and the dude, speaking of that uh, basement scene, the dude who plays the uh, the bad guy, the, uh, you know, the one that gets the shot up. Yeah, the SS officer. He's fucking incredible in that. He's And then the whole... God, we're running long on this, but I just want... Also, I don't know if this is the first film or work of art to make this connection, but the King Kong American Slave parallel? Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. He probably stole that from somewhere, but I'm like, yeah, that's actually a great... It made me look at King Kong differently after that. Right? Yeah. It's like, he probably... I don't think he came up with that. Some He probably stole it from a black, like creator or black artist and he was like i'm gonna use that in my film and get all the credit it's like mm, probably I feel like he stole it from spike lee out of spite probably because spike lee does not fuck with quentin tarantino <laughs> we're about to talk about 
how fuel got uh, thrown on that fire. Uh, great movie. One of his bests. I don't know if it's his best, but one of his bests. You ready to move on? I'm ready. All right. Another great film. Another great film starring Christoph Waltz. Mm-hmm. Django Unchained. Django! Django, have you always been alone? Django! Django, have you never loved Now, again? there was a lot of controversy around this film. And it's a controversy that's kind of fueled throughout Tarantino's career. And if, if I may, there's a lot of use of the N-word in this film. Yes. But it is a period it's, piece. It's a period piece. But regardless, it is gratuitous. Yes. And what I mean historically speaking, at least in Tarantino's career, for instance, in Pulp Fiction, something we didn't really talk about, probably a negative that we should have mentioned, but I was kind of saving it for this point. Tarantino is in Pulp Fiction. He has a role. I think Chip or Mitch or something like that. Uh, Jimmy. Jimmy. Okay, yeah. And uh, we were talking about uh, Marvin's head that gets blown up in the back of the car. And Marvin's a black guy, played by the very talented Phil Lamar. Like, Phil Lamar's a black guy. And Tarantino's character, like, starts referring to him as an N-word in the movie. And it's like, I think that was the first people with hat tip where people like, where the fuck is that coming from? And I did want to talk about another thing because we talked about uh, True Romance, which Tarantino wrote. I don't know if you're familiar, aware of this since you never saw this movie, but there's a great scene between Dennis Hopper and uh, Christopher Walken, actually, where Christopher Walken's playing Italian, Sicilian, keyword, Sicilian mobster, without going into too much detail, but basically Chris, uh, uh, Dennis Hopper plays Christian Slater's uh, dad, who's a cop, um, and Christian Slater made off with some money that belonged to Christopher Walken, right? Christopher Walken's at Dennis Hopper's house, like, Tell me where the fuck your son is. And he knows he can't tell him where the son where his son is. And he knows Christopher Walken's about to kill him. So he decides to piss Christopher Walken the fuck off. Christopher Walken <laughs> plays a Sicilian character, alright? It's actually a really good scene. But basically, to piss off Christopher Walken's Sicilian mobster character, he tells a story about how Sicily was conquered by the Moors and has inward blood in them. Basically, he talks about, he goes, you had a bunch of inwards rape so many Sicilian women that they changed the bloodline. And he, it goes on for like three minutes. So also, kind of okay. I mean, that's probably historically accurate, but he says the... Like, Dennis Oliver character says the N-word a fucking lot in that scene. Again, I'm pointing it out because Tarantino wrote this. And now that takes yeah. us to Django Unchained, where it kind of... He kind of like, not only doubles down, but like super duper double down on that like i mean i know we're two white guys talking about like this but i was a little bit forgiving because i was like look man it's a violent gratuitous film in general and it's tackling a very serious issue so i guess my point is like i don't think i don't know quentin tarantino he might be a racist i wouldn't be surprised i'm i'm gone are the days of me being surprised by white people being secretly racist. Like, that that's just not going to surprise me anymore. Because, right. like, fucking past two years, past three years, I'm like, yeah, yeah. But I d- here's, here's always been my defense of it. I don't think he does it just to do it. I think that he 
is trying to make despicable characters and he sees it as the path of least resistance the easiest route to making a despicable character mm-hmm. is to go that route and i think he might abuse okay. it i think he might abuse it but i think it does serve a purpose like the violence we spoke of earlier and what would you say to yeah that? i mean i think i can follow that argument and spike lee specifically was very much against this film because he makes a good point like the film is about slavery but it's right. not about slavery. It uses slavery as a tool to have a spaghetti western. Uh-huh. Kind of fucked up. Right. I mean, again, we're two white guys with our own perspective on it. It doesn't affect us nearly as much as, you know, it would a black person. But, like, makes a good point. Like, it's like, mm, eh, you know. First off, I love this movie. Let me get that off the bat. I'm sure you do too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great film. Great fucking film. But I understand where they're coming from. Right. I understand where they're coming from. It's hard to watch, especially that hot box scene with uh, yes. Kerry Washington. Yeah. And, St- and St- Samuel L. Jackson probably in his most despicable role as Steven. That is. Yeah. God, that's intense. And Walter Groggins. Oh, Jesus Christ. Walter Goggins, I'm sorry, not Groggins, as uh, uh, old Billy and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. Oh, and of course, we got to talk about Leo. Oh, yeah, definitely. Leo fucking killing it. What'd you think about Leo? I mean, he played the shit out of that character. He was a despicable character, but he played the shit out of that character. I love how he says white cake. You could join me in the parlor for some white cake. <laughs> It's a hard film to watch. I don't think I would... I love this film, but I don't know if I'd recommend it to an un, the uninitiated. Because, like... I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't think you have to be a Tarantino fan to like... You have to be the right kind of person yeah. to like it. But I don't think you have to be like, oh, I've seen a Tarantino movie, so now I am okay with watching this movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you just... You, you, you gotta be... Yeah, you gotta be okay with some of his truths, but not necessarily to have seen his movies. Yeah, uh, great, great shootouts like that Candyland shootout. Can't yeah. tell you how many times I've rewatched it because it is it's At gratuitously the very end, yeah. yeah it's it is gratuitously violent, just like the Crazy Eighty Eight scene in Kill Bill. But it's really well done. Like this is a very well done movie. Like it's great soundtrack. Uh, actually have a lot of the songs from the soundtrack um christoph waltz is brilliant in it and stuff like that yeah um, and he doesn't play a villain yeah he doesn't play a villain still got an oscar for it. got an oscar for this back-to-back oscars like these are like his two roles that he's like he won like in 07 and then his next film django wins another oscar yeah pretty incredible um, that's why I was, I was expecting him to be in Hateful Eight, because I was like, I thought he was going to go for the trifecta, but I don't think even Christoph Waltz <laughs> could have saved that movie. Uh, spoiler alert. But, uh, filmed a lot in Louisiana. It's just really good. And you know, there was a big, this'll, this'll, uh, this'll be a good way to, to go to my point. Uh, originally he wanted Will Smith to play this role. Another great casting what if. This was the other casting what if I was talking about. Um, uh-huh. I love Jamie Foxx in this, but I am very curious to see what Will Smith would have done with this role. Yeah, that is, that's a very fair, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on it, definitely. 
I don't think he could have pulled off Jamie Foxx's intimidation. Like, Jamie Foxx is a badass, like, in yeah. this movie. I don't know if Will Smith could have removed himself from being Will Smith to be Django. Yeah, like, Will Smith can be an action star, but yeah. he can't be an action star the same way that Jamie Foxx can. Yeah, Will Smith, in most of his movies, is playing Will Smith. Like, you were like, oh, that's Will Smith as Will Smith as. Like, But Jamie right, Foxx yeah. really becomes Django. Like, he's really yeah. fucking good in this movie. Uh, and shout out to Kerry Washington, also really good in this movie. Um, uh-huh. It's really good. I can't say enough about this film, but it is, I guess the word is, I don't think it's going to age well. And I think it's becoming more problematic the older we, the the, yeah. the longer it gets. Yeah. And it's funny because it hasn't been that long. Yeah. I mean, it's less than 10 years. Yeah. Or no, it's, uh, it's, it's 2012. Yeah. 2012. I remember this film. I remember seeing it, being very excited about it. It came out on Christmas. I remember I saw it on Christmas. It was fucking oh, it's such a good movie. And uh, mm-hmm. what else do I have to say about this film? Uh, kind of long. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what I want to talk about. Uh, Will Smith turned it down because he didn't feel like Django was the main character in his own film. He felt really? like Christoph His The rumor is his argument was that Christoph Waltz's character – what's his fucking face? What's the name of his Dr. character? Dr. Whatever. Will. The fucking dentist. Yeah, the dentist. King, right? Dr. King. Or King Schultz. Dr. Schultz. Uh, he he felt like he was the main character. And Django was just kind of there. And But I would argue, anyone who has that complaint, I think this is an origin story. This is like a superhero origin story. Where Christoph Waltz plays Django's mentor. Brings him yeah. into this world. Leaves right. him. Yes. And Django lives beyond him. And... It is Django's movie is my point. I think that to say that it is Christoph Hans, you know, it's, or not Hans, Dr. Schultz's movie, <laughs> it's not. It is Django's yeah, movie. Yeah, I, I never felt that way. I never, yeah. from first viewing to subsequent viewings, I've never felt that it was anybody's story other than Django's. Yeah. Everybody else was supporting. And uh, the other big casting what if is uh, Don Johnson plays... Uh, What's his fucking face? Big Daddy. Yeah, Big Daddy. Uh, the plantation owner that they originally go hunt the Brittle Brothers on. Uh, okay. Originally supposed to be Kurt Russell. Weird. I know, but I don't think Kurt Russell was was that comfortable saying the N-word as many times yeah. as Don Johnson says in that movie. Not to impugn <laughs> Don Johnson's character, but oh boy, they they let it they let that word fly in this movie so much. Uh Probably one of my favorite lines in a movie is when he shoots old boy. I like the way you die, boy. Like, oh, it's such a fucking, it's such a fucking cool movie. It's such yeah. a fucking cool movie. I but think, it's more revenge fantasy, definitely. Yeah, and it's really kind of like I really think it. We talked about Tarantino injects himself. I think he was trying to inject himself into the Schultz role, Doctor Schultz, as like I'm a cool white guy. I'm down with the cause. That's my that's my conspiracy theory. And I think he wanted to make a movie that was like, see, black people, I can be a cool white folk. It's like, <laughs> dude, you went the way – you swing and a miss, Tarantino. Swing and a miss. But it's good. I love it. I actually – I have it on my – I have the DVD. I have it yeah. downloaded onto my laptop. I could watch it at any time, and I really enjoy the hell out of this movie. Anything else you want to say on it? I mean I don't think we've, we've missed anything. Yeah. I mean I, I think that – I think that – Leo doesn't get the credit that he deserves. He's not in it as much as 
like he's a he was a big star of this movie, but he's probably only in like twenty minutes of the movie. But those twenty minutes are solid gold. And he's like, "You had my curiosity. Now you have my attention." <laughs> I mean, really though, like he he terrifyingly got into that character. Yeah, and he hurt himself. He did. Yeah, yeah. The the fucking cut that they made in that movie when he's bleeding all over the place, like that—that's his literal blood. Yeah, they just went with it. <laughs> I mean, fuck yeah. Yeah, dude. I would go with it. He's really quality minutes in this too, and it's a shame. I think he did get the nomination for this, but he didn't. He the, yeah, he yeah, didn't. that's right. He got the nom, but not the nod. But I think he lost to Christoph Waltz. Like I'm like, yeah, I gotta give it to Christoph Waltz. I think Hans Landa, I think keep calling him Hans Landa. I think Dr. Schultz was much better than this than Leo was. Like I like I think he was. That's just me. But also shout out to um Jonah Hill for that cameo. Random ass Jonah Hill cameo. <laughs> it really did make fun of the clan, which was hilarious. And like the hoods and stuff and the it's a sick humor, but it is humorous. Um, yes. Anyway, let's move on because uh, we got. Wait, 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 wait! Did we decide if we're gonna recommend this? To oh people? yeah, yeah. Okay. Would you recommend this to? I'd recommend it to a casual viewer. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would. I don't know. It's very genre heavy. It's very western. It's tackling, but it's also set in a very dark chapter of American history. That's true. I don't know. I guess. I guess I'm just assuming like. I'm taking my personal experiences and saying, yeah, I don't need to have watched a Tarantino movie to watch this movie. But I guess for like an average person, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, uh, I could, I have, I'm two minds of it. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's move on to the last, but unfortunately the least fun fact. This is actually, we saw this movie together. We were very we excited about this movie. Oh boy. And we're talking about his last film. He's currently working on a film right now, which we'll talk on a little bit. Uh, his l- most recent film came out a few years back, uh, The Hateful Eight. Yes. That is some quality composing. Always. But yeah, I mean, I personally, I wouldn't call it his weakest film. But it is certainly not his best. I just remember we both got out of that movie, and I think we said the same thing. I don't know how I feel about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Look, man, I, I'll start with the, I'll start with the positive. Good cast. Really like the cast. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the 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 story. I don't have a problem with it. It's kind of confusing. Like I'm sure if I've, I've only watched it once because I don't want to really bother watching it again. <laughs> well made, great, good story, interesting. But I got to cut to the chase here and say that this film doesn't cut to the chase enough because it's fucking long and boring. Like it is so. Over it is so excessively long, like it is. God, I was bored. Like I was just like, what the fuck? Like there's no like 
<clears throat> when you when you go to a Tarantino film, you have to be prepared for long, drawn out, tense, suspenseful dialogue. Yeah. And then fucking carnage, like like action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there was so little action in this movie that I'm just like I was so bored by this movie. Thought it was interesting characters, great visuals, you know, sweeping vistas. Bored out of my mind, like boring fucking movie. Like I didn't. I wanted the movie to end. I'm like, I'm like, God. Thankfully, this movie is over. I will say, I've got, I've got a lot of love for Tim Roth. Oh, always. And and Tim Roth was great in this movie. I've got a lot of love for Bruce Dern. Yes. And Bruce Dern was also great in that movie as a curmudgeonly old racist. Yeah, he was a good. <laughs> he was that. He was. A, he was good at that. Weirdly. Um, and a good Samuel L. Jackson role. Good Samuel L. Good Kurt Russell. Yeah. Good good cast. Like everybody saw even Michael Madsen's whack ass is is alright in this movie. And yeah. the and the random Channing Tatum appearance. But alright, sure. Why not? But I mean, talk about so 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 you get like okay. So okay. so I'm gonna throw back a little bit here. So you get the quintessential Tarantino blood explosion. In the basement scene, yeah. in Glorious in Inglorious Bastards, which is when kind of the midway point of that movie, or kind of a little yeah. after the midway point, yeah. When so when Hugo Stiglitz shoots the SS officer's balls off, yeah. There's like an explosion. It's like it's literally like somebody threw a bucket of red dyed corn syrup Everywhere. all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> And you get that all over the place in this movie. Like when Kurt Russell gets poisoned. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> it's just... I, there's so much There's so much blood and gore in this movie. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily bad, but it's it's, it's a noticeable factor in, in talking about the movie. And when he's when he's coughing up all that blood, it's like Team America, where old boys like puking in the the alleyway. Like it's like God, can we? Was that necessary? Like in Team America, at least it was funny because it was a joke. But he was very serious. I'm sorry, I just can't talk. Like I was so disappointed in this movie. Like so disappointed in this movie. Like I was like, this movie was. He made a bad movie. Like it's a bad movie. He was just too excessive in this movie. It's I don't know I don't understand it because it's like so you call the movie the eightful the hateful eight yeah so you have eight characters that you can focus on yeah and then your entire forte as a director and writer is at nonlinear character development yeah and then you make this movie where somehow you fail to develop like I don't know seven out of eight. Of the characters, probably. Yeah. yeah. Maybe eight out of eight, depending on how you look at it. It's, it's. It felt like a play. It felt like a play that dragged on too long. Because they don't really... They're pretty much stuck in this cabin the entire movie. All f- six hours of the runtime. Uh, it's just... It just doesn't end. And it's like... Fuck. Can we just get to the good part? Fuck this boring-ass talking just, shit. And I just don't understand it. I'm, it's like, why can you, you know, just like, 
if you want to focus on eight characters and you don't want to fucking develop seven of them, at least develop one of them and make that one the main character. Yeah. And then make it a character study about that one. Yeah. I think that's, you know? that's what he was going for with Samuel I guess? Or was it the Walter Goggins character? See, I don't even fucking know. It must have been. Honestly, the main character must have been Walter Goggins because he's the only one that changed. Yeah. He's the only one that went through any sort of character development over the whole movie. But he was absolutely not the main character. And I, I remember, like, there were articles about how there's de- there's depth in this movie and the, the whole Lincoln letter thing and, like, all this and that and blah, 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 blah. That's but I was, not depth. But no, but I was just like, Ugh. I don't care enough because this movie, like, took six hours of my life that I'll never get back, and, like, I don't want to waste any more of my mental capacity trying to figure this movie out, because fuck it, it's boring. It's a boring-ass film. That's all I have to say about it, but if you if you have anything to add, please go right ahead, but there's, I mean, have you seen it again since? I feel like I've probably seen it, like, one time since. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm good, I don't ever need to see but that that's, again. But that's not enough time for me to really change my mind. Okay. But, so, alright, if we're getting to the part of the show where we decide what our favorite and least favorite is, yeah, it's not my least favorite. Alright, well, let's talk about that. Let's start with our least favorite, because I'll just be up front. This, the Hateful Eight is my least favorite. Of all the films we covered, Hateful Eight is definitely my least favorite. I think Death Proof is my least favorite. I would watch Death Proof twice in a row, back to back. Before I'd ever watch Hateful Eight ever again. Because at least Death Proof was like an hour and a half long. And not like the eight hours that fucking <laughs> Hateful Eight felt like. Like I was just like, god damn, this movie doesn't want to fucking end. And like, god, you thought Return of the King wouldn't fucking end. Like, Jesus Christ. But yeah. You know, at least this movie didn't have multiple endings like Return of the god, King did. Fucking... At least it had... Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely... So you would say Death Proof. Is it just, is it just like it's just a whatever kind of film? So you're like, eh, whatever. Yeah, basically. Man, I feel that. Uh, now let's get to the nitty-gritty here. What is our favorite... What's your favorite Tarantino film? My favorite. So I have, I have a boundless amount of love for... Um, Pulp Fiction. Who doesn't, right? But, but I think my favorite has to be Inglorious Bastards. Interesting. Is it the person? Is it because you feel a personal connection to it? If I may, you know, I would, I would listen to that argument that okay. it's personal for me. Yeah. Uh, this is a tough one for me. I got, I got to say, this is one of the toughest questions. I think as a lover of films, specifically Tarantino's movies, because I'm all about Tarantino, even hatefully. Even though Hateful Eight look was terrible, and this next movie coming out, I'm very skeptical of, which we'll talk about right after this. Uh, I love, like, he's made nine films, or he's working on his ninth film. I love seven out of, I love six out of eight. I kind of like Death Proof. Uh, I love six out of his eight films. That's, I mean, that's seventy five percent. That's a good, that's a good hit rate yeah. with directors, right? right? Who've made a certain number of films. Uh I love Pulp Fiction. Love it. Love its historical significance. It's not my favorite. Love it. 
love it. Could talk about like we talked about. We could talk. We could do a whole episode just on Pulp Fiction. Right. Love and Glorious Bastards. It's only getting better the older I get. Like I, the more I watch it, like I could watch that that basement scene a hundred times. Yeah. I love Django Unchained a lot, but I think I gotta give it to Kill Bill. I think Kill yeah. Bill. If I'm all I'm strictly going combined, if we're not talking combined, it's either Pulp Fiction or Django. But if we're talking combined, Kill Bill Volume One as one film, it's got to be Kill Bill for me. Yeah, I think I could sit and watch. I can't say that about many films that I would watch a four-hour-long film and not get bored. Right. Yeah. So I love that movie from start to finish. I love the character. I love how efficient it is. I love how there's like it's it's got no weak moments in my opinion. It just it's just a fucking gourmet buffet. Like it's just Tarantino just took all of his tricks that he got in the nineties, took a whole bunch of kung fu shit that he loved as a kid, and just put it all on one excessively long but brilliant film. So yeah, Kill Bill. It's my favorite Tarantino film. All right, let's talk about this last film that he's got coming up. Uh, and then we're going to call it a night because it is like 1030. And I'm usually in bed by now because I am 28 but secretly a 62-year-old. Uh, but so his his ninth film, and he's rumored, he said that he's going to retire from film after his 10th film. So it's this and one more. Who knows what that 10th film will be, but we'll see. Uh Maybe Kill Bill Volume Three. That would be a it's great one to go out on. That would be a great one or, to go out on. Or the uh, the Vega Brothers. Are they too? They're too old. We need we we okay. If he does a Vega Brothers movie, we gotta have new Vega Brothers. Because yeah, definitely. Michael Madsen has the charisma of a like a plank, and John Travolta. Oh, he looks too old. He he's he's in a fucking retirement home. Yeah. Let's be real. And he, you know, Scientology and good lord, I that know. man. Just fuck that guy. Anyway, so his next film is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I'll just read the, the line that Wikipedia has as its premise. A TV actor and a stunt double embark on an odyssey to make a name for themselves in the film industry in 1969 Los Angeles around the time of the Charles Manson murders. Now, when I first heard about this, I heard Tarantino film about Charles Manson murders. So I was like, no, thank you. That is a – anyone who knows anything about the Charles Manson murders, the Manson family murders, and Sharon Tate, I'm good. I don't need Tarantino's like obliviously insensitive fingers and footsteps all over a very, very bad story, like a very unhappy tale. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They've cast. It's got Leo in it. It's got Brad Pitt again. It's got Margot Robbie as Shannon Tate. Sharon Tate, sorry. Damian Lewis from Homeland as Steve McQueen. Like, you know, it's got a good cast, but he's got he's he's pretty much now has the pick of his pick of a cast because like everybody wants to work with Tarantino, uh, being a Tarantino film. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I'm very skeptical, though. Like, I'm very worried. Like, again, not really known for his delicacy when it comes to sensitive topics. Yeah. 
I'm very, very skeptical of this film. I will say, just as a an aside, um, I thought when we were going to talk about the future Tarantino project, we were going to be talking about Tarantino's Star Trek movie. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the status of that is anymore. So I don't know. Like I think, uh, he. I know he wrote. Him and JJ put in a pitch, and him and JJ kind of wrote on the movie. But I think with Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth pulling out of the fourth Star Trek movie, and Terrence uh, JJ's doing Episode Nine right now, yeah. I don't really know what the status of that Tarantino Star Trek film is. Also, sounds like a bad idea, but I mean, it sounds like a real bad idea. But yeah, so like this Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I guess it's a reference, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West, a Sergio Leone film, like... Right, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't... Mm. Mm. I don't know. I don't either. I don't because, know if 2018 like, and 2019 in this post-Me Too movement, like, I don't really know if we really, if, like... Like, for instance, just... i sorry to cut you off, but, like, Eminem just released a new album, right? Right. I don't think Eminem is really fits in this current like age this me too like this kind of reformation that we're going through right i don't really know if he fits anymore and i don't know if tarantino really fits anymore you know what i'm saying like a white male who's kind of in love with himself who does some pretty sketchy shit like i'm like "Mm." i don't know tarantino we'll see what happens with that but i don't know man i don't know i'll i'll be real as another aside as far as white males that are into themselves I feel like at this point I would rather watch a Kevin Smith movie yeah than a Tarantino movie absolutely and I love me some Kevin Smith he's one of my he's one of my inspirations for doing this the pod yeah I don't know dude I I don't know if going forward and I guess we can leave it at this because time will tell but like I don't know if I don't know if he fits anymore Maybe he'll prove yeah. us wrong, but maybe he'll prove me wrong. But I don't know if he really fits in this Hollywood anymore. I don't. I don't know if you can make a movie like he's trying to make, like because that movie absolutely doesn't deserve to be violent. Yeah, I don't know if you and, like. And, yeah, and and regardless of what you want to call gratuitous or not, all of his movies, at least tangentially, yeah. involve violence. Um, yeah, and it's like these are real people. Like Sharon Tate is a real person, like who died. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna go into the details because it it just it it causes a sense of dread just even thinking about the story. But like, I don't think that that kind of situation involving <laughs> real people with real loved ones should be used as a plot device or a plot contrivance for a move. A Terrence, it just seems inappropriate. And I know that sounds... And it seems like doubly so for a Tarantino movie. Again, maybe... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. No, it's fine. No, but just especially because he's got no sympathy. I mean, really, he's got no sympathy. Yeah. He's just indelicate. He's just... Yeah. He does not give a fuck. He does stuff excessively he does things very again we both are big fans of all of his films most of his films yeah but he's not known for his subtlety he's not known for his grace he's not known for his like his sensibility you know right his prudence like it's like mm, i don't know we'll see if this turns out all right um this episode has turned out great in my opinion thank you for doing this oh Uh, absolutely 
I hope I hope anyone who's listening who's seen none or not many of his films except for the spoilers, you know, I hope people got a good concept of of this man's body of work and hopefully they'll go out and see these movies and make up their own minds, but this has just been yeah. our opinions. And next year we'll probably do a Spielberg, which will be yeah. like a 4-hour episode cuz he's had a 40-year career. All of the movies. He said all of them. He's, I mean, I, I, I'm like, how do you talk about, like, Spielberg is a genre. Like, he is a genre. <laughs> right. And, like, some of his biggest films, I've, well, his biggest, one of his biggest films I've never seen because I never want to see that movie. And I don't think you've seen it either. But, like, I will say also Spielberg left a bad taste in my mouth because Ready Player One was dumb as fuck. I didn't see it, and I, I I had low expectations going in, so yeah. me not seeing it doesn't really, you know, Yeah, it's like whatever. Well, maybe next year we'll do a two-parter on Spielberg, but uh, that will – we'll see what happens next year. But that will do it for us today, guys. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe. Share with your friends. And go see a Tarantino film. We'd love to hear back on what's good or what's not. You know, shoot me an email. Shoot me a message on Facebook. Uh, tweet the pod. Uh, I'll give anyone needs Benjamin's uh, mailing address. I'll happily provide it so you can write a sternly written letter to him. Uh, Fair. No, no, no Nazis though. I will not allow a Nazi to write anything bad to Benjamin because that I will come to you and beat you, beat your brains in with a baseball bat. So that is not an idle threat. I will attack you. Uh, anyway, that's gonna do it for us, guys. Thanks, Ben. I'll talk. I'll, I guess I'll talk to you later. I'll send you some memes tomorrow. <laughs> Certainly. All right, man. I'll talk to you later, man. All right. All right, bye. Bye.